spoke on. But one of my favorites, it's been my, one of my favorites since Bible school because I had to write a 20-page paper on it. <laughs> and it was not my favorite at the time. But after going through it, I was like, man, that was good. And then, jeez, it's been 4, 15, 16. No, it's been 13 years since, man, I'm getting old. 13 years, and I was like, you know what? Let's look at it again. So, anybody guess what book it is? New Testament. New Testament, towards the back, but towards the middle, somewhere in there. Philemon. There we go. Philemon. <coughs> so, book of Philemon. Maybe, like me, you're going to rename this book. And in subscript underneath in small font because you're not really renaming it. But I've renamed it my personal Brian Salvation Story. So we're going to kind of take a look. We're going to try and hit almost the entire book today as much as we possibly can in the little time that we have. Um, but it's kind of like my my salvation story. And, and I'm sure for most of you it's also your salvation story too. Um, this book of that we see in Philemon here. So, real quick, a little overview. This book was written by Paul in about 60 A.D. Does anybody know where Paul was in 60 A.D.? He's in prison. Yeah. Oh, jail. I thought he said Yale. I was like, no, he was not at Yale. He was in jail. <laughs> Yale didn't exist yet. All right. <laughs> he was in jail uh, in Rome. And it's at the same time where he also writes the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, most likely, okay? So he's in jail. So to give you some context, this is one of his prison epistles, okay? So we're going to start. Um, let's actually open a word of prayer. Lord, my God, I give you so much thank that your son is no longer in a grave, but that you are fully appeased with his sacrifice because he was an innocent one. You rose him from the dead. No longer is he in the grave. But he conquered death. And now he is sitting at your right hand on high. Forever to be in an authority. Forever to be in power. Forever to rule. We give you thanks that your son is good. And that he loves us. He wants what's best for us. And we thank you that one day we will be with him forever. Lord, I pray as we look now into this book of Philemon that you would help us to understand it. That through the power of your Holy Spirit we would understand the things you're trying to teach to us. And that we would leave, a, leave here learning something about you and applying it to our life. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So let's start by reading the first <coughs> eight verses. Paul... A prisoner of Christ, Jesus. Again, how did I know it's about Paul's in prison? Because he says it right here. He's a prisoner. All right. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you my prayers. Because I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Yes. 
I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. So Philemon is a dear friend of Paul's. They know each other very well. And in fact, as, as we read through the rest of here, uh, you'll find out it's probably very likely that Philemon got saved directly through Paul. Uh, that, that Philemon is a convert of Paul's uh, through his work. And what else do we know about Philemon? Well, he's probably relatively well off because uh, the local church meets in his home, which means his home is probably relatively large. Um, Aphia, we don't know exactly who she is, possibly his wife. All right. Uh, Archibus, we don't know exactly who is it, possibly his son, possibly an elder at the local church, but we do know that he is definitely a fellow worker. So again, that these, these other people that are mentioned here are saved and are working with Philemon in the local assembly. Um, what else do we know about Philemon? He's a very good, he's a good person. Why? Because he strives to encourage the local saints. So he's very active in his church in trying to further the kingdom of God. So he's a strong Christian, as we would probably say in today's terminology, okay? I'd like to take a look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The the ordering there is is, is huge when when I actually look at it, when I think about that. That the order grace comes before peace. And you notice that when, almost every single time that Paul mentions those two words in series, the grace always comes before the word peace. Why does he do that? Why does grace always come before peace? Well, I'll just give you a verse. Romans 5.1, right? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And one more verse, Colossians 1.19. Uh, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. How do we obtain peace with God? You can't if it wasn't for grace. Because we are all sinners, falling short of God's glory. We were all enemies of God. And there's no peace there at all. But because God decided to show us grace and give us a gift that we do not deserve whatsoever, the gift of His Son, but by having faith in what His Son did at the cross for us, and accepting that gift of grace, we can now have peace with an almighty supreme being. God is a jealous God. God is a just God. God is a God who does and will just sin. Uh, sorry, uh, righteously deal with sin. He will judge it one day. We should have a little fear and respect for who our God is how mighty he is, how powerful he is. He speaks and light and fire comes out of his mouth. How do I know that? Because he made the stars. They're very violent when you look at what's going on inside them. He's the one who speaks those things into existence. He speaks and people fall over. 
There should be a little trembling fear, respectful fear that we have for our God and who he is. And to think that we can come before his presence in peace, knowing who we are inside, that's huge. That's huge. So thanks be to our God that he has shown us grace. And because of his grace, we can have this peace. I don't want to spend our whole time talking about that. Do you appreciate that today? Do you appreciate that? That we can have a relationship with the almighty, supreme being who spoke the universe into existence, that you can know him personally. And he wants to know you. He already does know you, but he wants to have communion with you. And there can be a relationship there. And it's not one where we are on our face fearful. It is one where we can boldly come into his presence because of the work of his son. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm so grateful that our God is a God who desires to reconcile broken relationships. He doesn't just say, forget it, or whatever that. I'm the kind of person, you know, if, if a relationship is broken, out, whatever, I'll just, I don't need them anymore. I move on with my life. God doesn't do that. When God sees a broken relationship, he tries to mend it. We've broken relationship with him, and he has done all the work to restore that. I'm very grateful for that. All right, verse 6. Just skipping down. So, all right, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God, verse 4, as I remember you my prayers, because I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. I want to take a minute and focus on verse 6 here. Um, verse 6, again, I'm not a Greek theologian at all, but verse 6 is a very difficult verse to translate. And every translation that I looked at all goes about it a little bit different. Um, so some of the key words here, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. All right. The uh, New Living Translation says that, uh, I pray that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. The ESV says that you may practice in sharing your faith or giving partnership with us in your faith. Uh, New American Standard is that I pray that you have fellowship in the faith. And King James says, I pray that you would have the communion of your faith. That word, all right, when you look into it, it's koinonia, all right, um, it's a word of action. That along with faith, there is a part of your acting out your faith, living out your faith, that comes with action. Sharing what you have. (coughs) Sharing what we have in Christ with others in good deeds. If I can just put it simply, all right? In good deeds. That if we call ourselves Christians, there should be some things in our life that display our faith in action to one another. If your faith is genuine, if your faith is genuine, there will be an outpouring of fruit in your life. There will be an outpouring of fruit in your life. What 
sorry, scratch that for a minute. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. See, in the translation I'm reading, it sounds like that if you are actively sharing your faith, what will that build? That will build a deeper understanding of what Christ has done for you. Other translations should put it a little different way. The best translation that I could come up with that interprets this closely to the original text as best as possible is actually the NASB, the, the New American Standard. It's a very literal translation. It says this, I pray that the fellowship of your faith, the sharing of your faith, the communion of your faith, may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing that you have in Christ Jesus. You see, if you know what you have been saved from, if you truly know what God has done for you, your life will reflect it. Your life will reflect it. There are Christians in this room, and I can tell you for certain that they appreciate what God has done for them. No doubt in my mind that they know what God has saved them from. How do I know? Because almost every single thing that they do, when I look at them, their life is acting out their faith. They're devoting themselves to the work in the church. They're devoting themselves to loving the brothers. They're devoting themselves to sharing their faith in their their workplace. Their faith is being lived out in action. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says this Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. Always give yourselves to the work of the Lord. Let me ask you this review your last year of your life, two thousand sixteen. Was that a year where you'd say, you know what? My faith was lived out. My faith was lived out in action. And how do I know that? Oh, actually, what are some of the, what are some of the duties or responsibilities that God has given us as Christians? See, yes, you are saved. Now God has expectations for you. Did you know that there are expectations from God? He saved you. Free gift. You're going to heaven. You got your ticket. That's great, wonderful, marvelous. In return, there's some expectations for you. Do you know what those are? That God has an expectation of you and how you're supposed to live your life, some standards by which you should live by. Do you know what those are? Ready? Here's a big one. Love each other. Literally, really care about one another. Love for the brethren, the people in this room. Do you actually honestly, sincerely care about them? And look after their needs. Are you actually... Looking around the room going, man, I wonder who's hurting today. What can I do for them? Does that ever cross your mind? The Lord's really woken me up that this year. It's like, I come to church, I just, hi, 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 how you doing? Great, I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. They're not. I just, I just assume that everything's going well because they told me everything's going well. Do you guys actually really care about each other? That's a Christian responsibility. It's a duty that God has given us. How well over this past year have you actually done that? Cared for and put your faith into action by loving each other. 
Because if you truly appreciate all that God has done for you, and what He has saved you from, eternal damnation and burning in hell, all God is asking you to do is love each other. You know what? You would do that in a heartbeat if you really appreciated that. What else does He say? What else is the Christian duty and responsibility? That we are to be generous with our time, our money, and our resources. The things that God has given us. Do I... Mine? You want to borrow my tool? Uh, you know, sorry, I don't, I don't let my tools out. That's like one of the hardest things. People always call me up, hey, Brian, can I borrow your miter saw? Okay. <laughs> okay. If I have to. You know, that's a struggle for me. It really is. Lending my tools out. Ah. But is that really being generous with the things that God has given me? Am I generous with the money that I have and the time that I have? Or do I hog my time to myself doing my hobbies, the things that I like? Saying, nope, sorry, I can't go to that activity. Or sorry, I can't help out that activity because I got my golf lesson. All right? Or whatever it is. Have you spent more time in front of the, whatever you do with your thumbs in front of this thing? I've never, I don't play these games. All right? Have you spent more time this year doing this than serving someone? Have you, what, there's a thousand things out there. Okay? There's a thousand things out there that we can name. And everybody's different. Are you actively participating in sharing your faith as a Christian? It does not necessarily mean sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's definitely a part of it. We should be doing that. Are you actively, have you actively used your gifts in this church with the church as a whole, universal, to encourage the saints. Have you done that this past year? Because I'll tell you what, I can look around the room and I can point out the men and the females who have done that. Why? Because they know what the God has saved them from. They know what God has done for them. They have not forgotten that and they appreciate it. And you know what? They say, listen, whatever I can do, however I can be used as in God's service, I'll do it. And they've really this past year lived it out. Are, are you one of those? Check your hearts. Are you one of those? Are you actively using your gifts that God has given you to build up this local church? This is the hard one, ready? Responsibility, an expectation from God, a duty that God has given us. Forgive each other. Are you holding any grudges at all? Are you holding any grudges? Just remember... God forgave you first. God forgave you first. Have you forgiven anyone in this church lately that needs to be forgiven of? Have you asked for forgiveness in this church? The people that need that you need to ask for forgiveness from. That's a responsibility, it's a duty that God has given us as Christians. It's an expectation from God that we do these things. And you know what? We as human beings with pride, we don't like to do that. But if you truly appreciate what God has done for you, and you understand the depth of what he went through to get us salvation, it's a no-brainer. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. <clears throat> James McDonald says this, The Bible teaches us that the responsibility as believers is to work uncompromisingly as the Lord has gifted us. 
and leads us in this life. We must fully understand that until the day the Lord returns, there are souls to be reached and ministries of every sort to be performed. We are responsible for our money, time, energy, our talents, our gifts, our own bodies, our minds, and our spirits. And we should invest nothing. We should invest in nothing that does not in the same way contribute to the work of the Lord. James tells us, as the body without a spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So examine your life over this past year. Have you done those things? If you have not, now, maybe you don't appreciate what God has done for you as deeply as he needs to. Maybe you don't really understand all that God has gone through to purchase you back from going to hell. Because if you do, it will be evident in your life. That's, that, that, that's Paul's introduction. That's Paul's warm-up. It's good. It's a nice challenge. And that's what he's leading off with in his letter to Philemon, his good friend. That's how he's starting off what he wants to get into. Man, Paul, if that's how you're starting the letter, what are you going to say next? You ready? If you don't know this book, Paul's going to let him have it. And he's going to ask him for something. And it's going to come down to this. Philemon, if you appreciate what God has done for you, then what I'm about to ask you to do will be a no-brainer and you won't even hesitate. What's God calling you to do? Are you hesitating? Let's see what Paul says. All right, let's see what Paul asks. <clears throat> Verse 8. So therefore, based on everything I just said, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul says, listen, as Paul, as an older Christian, I can order you to do this, what I'm about to ask you to do. I can tell you you need to do this right here now, and you better listen to me, or I'm just going to appeal to you on the basis of love, just as God did to us. God does not command us or orders or force us to do things. He appeals to us on the basis of love. So that's what Paul's doing here. Uh, Yet yeah, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. He has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him here with me, so he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, 
welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Archimaeus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we're able to follow what Paul's asking here. Here's a little story. Ready? Who's Onesimus? Who's this guy that Paul's talking about? He's a slave. He was purchased by Philemon to work in his home. And what did Onesimus do? He ran out of there. He took off. He fled his master, ran away. And in the process, it sounds like he robbed his master Philemon. Why? Because Paul's saying, listen, whatever he stole from you, I'll pay it back. All right. So implying that it is most likely that not only did Onesimus, a slave, run away, he also stole from his master. What does Philemon have the right to do? Throw him in jail. He has full right to throw Onesimus in jail. Now, does Philemon know where Onesimus is? Probably not. You know why? Because he's in Rome. Where does Onesimus live? In Colossae, the church that meets in his home. Um, That's 1,200 miles away. He's a third of the way across America. He is... Far. Yeah, he's from here. He's in Florida right now. And you know what? It's not like they have an Instagram website. You can Google his name, find him, you know. He ain't finding him. He is gone. Because what slaves would do, all right, is if they did run away, they would go to the most populated areas possible and try and blend in with the, the locals. And that's what Onesimus did. And apparently he got away with it for quite a while. Somehow Onesimus stumbled upon Paul. How? I have no idea. Small world. Because Philemon and Paul know each other really well. Because Paul says, hey, listen, I'm coming back one day. You know that guest bedroom you got for me? Get it ready. I want, I want to stay there again. Okay? And, <coughs> and somehow Onesimus, I have no idea how, through the Lord's grace, meets up with Paul. And gets saved through Paul. And the gospel that Paul is sharing. And what's Onesimus now doing? Serving Paul in prison. He's serving Paul while he's in prison. And somehow through the dialogue and their conversation, it came up with, so Onesimus, what did you used to do in your past life? Uh, I've been avoiding this question for a long time. Uh, I was a slave. Oh, really? What happened? He's like, uh, I ran away. Oh, that's not good. Okay. Well, who was your master? Uh, Philemon. What would you just say? From Colossi? Oh, I know him. Oh, man. Could you imagine the conversation going on between them? Shoot. That must have been a crazy day, that conversation they just had together. And, and, and Paul decides, you know what? I need to do the right thing. You need to go back to your master and ask for forgiveness. You need to go back to your master. And he sends Philemon home. 
most likely Philemon's carrying this letter. It's very possible that Philemon's carrying this letter. And in this letter, Paul pleads, he appeals, my bad, my bad, sorry. Onesimus, the slave himself, carries this letter back to his master. And in the letter, Paul is pleading to Philemon, his fellow worker in Christ, on a basis of love, he's appealing to him. Forgive him. And I'll pay, I'll make it right on his behalf. That's this letter in a nutshell. It's probably one of the most personal letters that Paul writes. Paul is writing a specific message to Philemon and pleading on behalf of another life. Forgive him. Because he knows that he has to send him home. But that in doing so, Philemon has the full right in the law to imprison him. Maybe even kill him. He has the right to do that. So Paul pleads. He appeals for it. Twice he says it in here. I appeal to you on the basis of love for my son Onesimus. As we just talked about, what's the right thing to do as a believer in Jesus Christ? The right thing to do is forgive. Not easy to do, though. Colossians 3, <coughs> 12 says this. If you want to turn there, if you don't have this verse, underline it. Please go to your Bible, underline it. It's God's charge to you as believers in this church. All right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And the great part is, Philemon, in his home, most likely, is the church of Colossae that meets there. Guess what Paul just wrote to that church in Colossians? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a command from God. You must forgive each other. On the basis of love, the fact that God loved you first, in return, show love to your brother. It's a command. It's not negotiable in God's eyes. He doesn't force us to. He asks us to do it in love because he first loved us. Let that be a challenge for you. Let that be a challenge for you. That we are to be kind, compassionate with one another. Hard to do because some of you rub me the wrong way. And I know in return I rub more of you the wrong way. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. <coughs> Remember that love keeps no record of wrongs. I'm sure Philemon was keeping a really big long list of wrongs that Anismus had done to him. <laughs> Running away and stealing from him. Yeah. And, and, and if, if Philemon was as prosperous as he was, as it sounds like he is, when you lose a slave, that's your workforce. He probably also lost financially from losing his slave. Whatever his business was, he was probably a part of it. And that hurt him too. So Philemon is probably deeply hurt financially, you know, just a lot of ways that his slave ran away from him and stole from him. 
verse 10. I appeal to you for my... What's that word there? I appeal to you for my son. Onesimus in verse 10. I'm sorry, back in Philemon, my bad. Paul's using some key words here. I appeal to you for my son. He's making it personal now. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus in verse 10, who became my son while I was in chains. If you go to verse 16, it says this. Accept him back no longer as a slave, better than a slave, as a dear brother. Huh, wait a minute. How is a slave a brother? Well, you should know this because this is simple, guys. We just studied this. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the Jew and Gentiles, right? In Christ, there are no more walls, no more barriers between social economics, between race, between uh, color. We're all one in Christ. We're all the same playing field. I don't care where you grew up, what church you went to in the past. I don't care what you've done, who you were born under, who your parents are. It doesn't matter. In Christ, we are all brothers and sisters. Slaves are at the same playing field in God's eyes as their masters. Male and female, we're all the same in God's eyes. We studied that for weeks here. Okay? I don't really need to break it down again. All right, but I'll just read one verse. Romans 3.21 But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God that has been revealed as attested by the law and the prophets, and this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen the same before God. And all of us have the same access to forgiveness of sins. We all get the same salvation if we accept it. <clears throat> Galatians 3.23 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Can you imagine Philemon hearing that? Shoot, he was my slave. No slave was the slowest thing on the totem pole of the day. Now, he has to regard him as his brother. I bet you that was really hard for Philemon to swallow. That was that was probably hard for him to swallow. Yeah, this was just like yeah, um, but Philemon has to has to take that. That was probably hard for him. We are all one in Christ. Uh, we can go and read Ephesians chapter two which we have looked at when we did our mysteries. Great chapter on how in Christ, we're a family, guys. We're all in this together. There's no one here more important or less important than another. We all need each other. We need each other to build each other up. You have gifts that I don't have. I have gifts that you don't have. We need each other. We're all one body. We're all one body. And we need each other. In verse 11, it says this, I am sending him, back in Philemon, right? I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Oops, yeah, was my, I just read verse 12. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't say what I wanted. Verse 11, sorry. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Why does Paul put that in there? See, you and, you and I, we kind of see at the surface what that means. 
But because we don't understand the original language and the times that they're in, we don't get the depth of this. Paul is doing a little play on words right here. Onesimus is a very common name for slaves back then. Do you know what Onesimus means? Useful. Hey, useful. Hey, give me that shovel. Hey, useful. Go tend the garden. Hey, useful. That's what they would call each. That's what they call slaves. Okay? So Onesimus is a pretty generic name that all slaves were given. And by definition, that word is useful. So at one time, Paul says, formerly, he was useless to you. Yeah, he ran away. No more good to you. Lost. But now, as a brother in Christ, he is useful. Because of what Jesus Christ did for Onesimus, and what he has done for you, he is now useful to us in the work of the gospel. Because of the rebirth that he had received in Jesus Christ, he's now useful. Paul's doing a little play on words here. He's, he's, got, he's got a little uh, comedy. He's, he's not a little comedic, but he's got, you know, I don't even know, I just lost it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Paul puts in a little humor once in a while in, in, his, in his text. But we don't get that because we don't pick up on the original language. Um, <clears throat> in Christ Jesus, there's a reason why we're still here. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I want to read you a little story. All right. Let's see if we can just draw a little, a little from this. A water bearer in India had two large pots, both hung on the ends of a pole, which he carried across his neck. So you guys picture that, right? Carrying his pots, one pot on this side, one pot on this side. All right. And they're full of water. One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. At the end of the long walk from the stream to the house, the cracked pot always arrived half full. The poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and misery that it was unable to accomplish only half of what it was made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. I have, been, I have only been able to deliver half of my load because of this crack in my side that causes water to leak out all the way back to your house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all this work, and you don't get a full value for your efforts. The pot bearer said, Did you notice that there are flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other side of the path? That's because I've always known about your flaws. And I planted flower seeds on the side of the path that you were on, and every day while we walked back, you watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these flowers and beautifully decorate my table. Without you being just the way you are, there not be beauty to grace in this house. You see, one pot was not as good as the other pot. It cracked. It had flaws in it. What, what can we get out of that? Well, what's the first obvious thing about the cracked pot? He allowed himself to be used. He was faithful. There are a lot of Christians today 
that look at their lives and realize that there are flaws, that there are issues, there are things that they had done in their past, and they don't ever get past them, and they say, Lord, you can't use me. I won't let you use me. God loves you the way you are. He doesn't ask you to change your life, fix your life, before He decides to use you. Come to me as you are, the way you are, and I'll use you, and over time, I'll sanctify you. I can use you as you are. Are you a pot? I'm, I'm a flawed pot. I'm sure we are all flawed pots. Okay, We all have issues in our lives. Are you going to let those issues... Stop you from being used by God. Because God can even use those flaws at times to accomplish His mission and His task. Or are you the pot that says, no, God, you can't use me. I don't want to be used. I refuse to be used because of my flaws. Don't allow yourself to sit on the sideline and not be used by God. Because you know what He'll do? He'll say, fine. You're still saved. You're still going to heaven. But if you won't let me use you, I'll get someone else to do the job. I'll get someone else. And you miss out on God's blessing. You miss out being used by your Creator to accomplish something beautiful for Him. And you miss out on that blessing. God's work done God's way will receive God's blessing in your life. Be faithful with what you have with God. And He will bless you. And He will use you. He has created each and every one of you. He's created you! Mariana, He's created you for good works in this life. Max, God has created you for a reason. And David, He has made you for a reason. Let God use you. Despite of your imperfections and flaws. Let God use you. Be faithful to Him. And He will use you in mighty ways. Ephesians 5.15 Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I'll tell you what the Lord's will is. That you fully surrender yourself to Him and say, God, my life is yours. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything. Show me the way and my life is yours. And he already told you what the first things are. Love each other. Be generous with your time, money, and resources. Forgive each other. And use your gifts in assembly. There's, there's the easy ones. You know, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, right there, I just told you what it was. There's God's will for your life. Help the local assembly. Further God's kingdom. Share the good news with others. God's will for your life is not rocket surgery here, guys. It's pretty straightforward. He lays it out for us how to live. Rocket surgery, okay? I see the discussions in the back. Okay? I meant what I meant. Okay? There's surgeons, and then there's rocket scientists. All right? It's not, I, it's not rocket scientists. This is surgery on a live rocket, okay? It's crazy. This is like the, the pinnacle of the hard times, okay? My students love that when I say it in class. What? It's not rocket surgery. God doesn't make it complicated for us. Alright? If I can understand it, you can understand it. <laughs> Why are you here right now? 
I ask God that sometimes. Like, God, why am I still here? Because if God said this, oh, boom, Paul, you got saved. Perfect. Come up to heaven with me right now. That'd be awesome. The moment you get saved, poof, you're in heaven. Enjoying God's splendor and majesty and awesomeness of heaven. That'd be great. No, he didn't do that. He chose to leave me here. Why am I still here? Because there's something for me to do down here. God has a purpose for leaving me here. If he had no purpose for me, up I go. And you know what? I will not leave this planet until the work that God has set out for me to do is finished. Because no one's going to get between God's work. Satan cannot take my life until God is done with me down here on earth. Have you ever asked God why I'm still here? I'm telling you, he's got work for you to do. Are you doing it? Or are you just squandering your life away doing whatever you want? Again, check yourself. 2016. Was I used of God? Was I doing his work? <coughs> Don't let this year be the same. If it was like that. If it, if it was like that, if you did use your life well for the Lord, continue going. Don't be discouraged. In time you will reap a harvest. Don't be discouraged. I want to close with one, one thing here. And this is what I really, really appreciate, and I still haven't answered it. How is this my story? Remember I told you that finally email I wrote in, I didn't rename it, I subtitled it, Brian's Salvation Story. Because in here is a really cool picture about Jesus Christ, the Father, I'll make it personal, me. You can put your name in if you want, but this is my story, okay? Um, let's just take a couple little par- comparisons, all right? Let's, let's lay out the foundation, right? Philemon. Who is Philemon? He's the father. He's God the father in this picture. Who is Onesimus? He's the runaway slave. Me. Who is Paul? He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one in between, the intercessor. So let's just break it down, ready? So just, just laying out the foundation, ready? <clears throat> Onesimus, he is the runaway slave who stole from his owner. How is that me? Well, I turn my back on God. I ran away. I stole from God the honor, the worship, the glory, and the obedience that's due him. I stole that from him. I refuse to worship him at a time in my life. We as a human race, we have refused to worship, acknowledge God for who he is. We've stolen from him. He is a jealous God. He deserves that. He, he demands that. That's who he is. And nothing less. Philemon, God, has the full right to throw Onesimus into jail. To have his life ended because of what he did to him. Because of the trespasses and sins that Onesimus, his slave, did to him, he has the full right of the law. Chuck him in jail. Get rid of him. I don't want to see him again. Kill him. God the Father has the same right to do with us. As the runaway slave, God has the full right under his law to throw me into hell to burn for eternity. He has the full right to do that. If God chose to do that, he could do it in a heartbeat right now and be fully just in doing that. Fully just in doing that. Paul comes in between Philemon and Onesimus. 
and intercedes for us. Acts as a mediator. Verse 9 and 10, twice it says, I appeal to you, I plead of you, I beg of you, I desire of you, I implore you, forgive him on a basis of love. Jesus Christ, in John chapter 17, pleads with his Father for the future saints. Jesus Christ is the one God who is the mediator between God and man. Hebrews 7, Therefore, Jesus Christ, he is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus Christ pleads for my life. He did plead for my life by giving up his own. He came between me and the Father. He is the perfect go-between man. Why? Because Jesus Christ is fully God. He understands the Father. He knows Him. He knows how He works. He knows His mind. He knows God's law. On the same side, He's also what? Fully man. He understands us. Because He was us. He is us. He's fully man. He knows what it's like to be a man, a human being on this planet. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every way that we were tempted. And he can go to God and say, look, you see those people? I get them. I also get you. And he can make the perfect bridge the gap between us. The perfect mediator. Because he understands both parties in a broken relationship. That's Paul. Paul bridges the gap between Philemon and Lysimus. Paul also not only pleads on his behalf, says this, I'll pay his debt. He's got no money. He has no way of ever repaying you. He can't do it on his own. Charge it to my account. I'll pay it. And, and how do I know that Paul is sincere? Well, we all, we all know that, that, that Paul uh, may have had uh, some form of, uh, what was that? It may have been blind. We don't know what his, his ailment was, right? That there was a, uh, a thorn in him, right? But he does write this very plainly. Verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. He just wrote a contract. He just signed a contract with Philemon. Charge it to me. It's official. I'll pay his debt. Likewise, Jesus Christ is the same for us. Look at Brian down there. Look at those human beings. They owe you big. They can't pay it back. It's a debt that they can't pay off. You know what? I'll pay it for them. Whatever the cost is, I'll pay it for them. And he paid the ultimate price. He gave up his life. It wasn't just a financial swipe of the credit card. He had to give up everything, his own life. And in doing so, he purchased me back freed me from that debt that I owed. Paul did that for Onesimus. Paul calls Onesimus his son and brother. 
we all know that Jesus Christ calls us what? His brothers. He calls us His brothers. God now has adopted us as His son. I'm in God's family. I'm in God's family. He calls me His son. I am Jesus' brother, He calls me. That's awesome. I love this part. What does Paul's ultimate desire? I want Onesimus to be with me. I want him to be with me. I want him to go to you. And I want him to return back to me because he's useful to me. What does the Lord Jesus say? This is what I meant before, I'm sorry. In John chapter 17. You could turn there if you want real quick. I'll just finish this last thought. <clears throat> John seventeen twenty four. Jesus Christ is p- praying for the future believers. Me, you. All right, because we are future believers from this time. John 17, if you want to underline. I, this is one section I've, I've underlined real quick in my Bible because it's important to me. Father... I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am. Do you know that Jesus Christ wants you to be with him in heaven? He wants you. Jesus wants me. Paul wanted to be with Onesimus. Wanted to spend time with him. Wanted to work with him. Jesus Christ wants to work with me. Wants to spend time with me wants to get to know me, wants me to spend forever with him. That's awesome. That's awesome. And lastly, Onesimus was separated from Philemon. He was useless to him. No good. But now, he's become useful to him. I was God's enemy at one time. No good for anything. But because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did, I'm useful for God now. I no longer have no purpose in my life. I have meaning in my life. I have usefulness in my life. I'm useful. I'm a missus. I'm useful for something. God has made you useful for something. You have been returned in a right standing with your maker. Your creator, you're in good standing with him now. And you are useful to him. You were once useless. Do you know how depressing that is to think that you are here on earth and have no purpose in life? That's depressing when you really start to think about it. And that's where ultimately most suicidal people come from. Is the fact that I have no meaning, I have no purpose in this world. When you start to dwell on that, it gets, you go downhill real quick. It gets really dark. I have meaning. I have purpose in this life, and I am useful for God. I just I love this picture. That's me. This is my salvation story. Beautiful. Let's close in prayer. Lord of God, I thank you that you're an amazing God. Because you love me. You gave yourself for me. And I thank you for your son who pleads on my behalf. He's my intercessor. And I thank you that 
He was willing to pay the ultimate price to forgive me of my sins. To purchase me back to you. And in doing so, you made me useful again. Thank you for making us useful for you. I pray that we would see this as an opportunity to say thanks in return by simply living out our life in a manner that's worthy of all that you have done for us on our behalf. You have done so much. Lord, please help us to hear that calling. And in this coming year, to be useful for you, to be used of you. And I thank you so much, Lord, that you care so much about me, that you want me to be with you. You want us to be with you forever in heaven. We look forward to the day, Lord, where you'll come back and take us up to be with you. Lord, come soon. We want to spend time with you. We want to see you face to face and be able to say thank you. You are a great God. And we give you thanks this day in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week, everybody.